there's some things you can do yourself. And there are some things that, you know, you're going to need a little help with. For example, take my pool, for example. We have a swimming pool. Now, that is not my swimming pool. But my swimming pool is almost as nice as that swimming pool. And uh, if you've seen my swimming pool, you will know that it is mostly clean most of the time. I really love to keep it clean. I remember as a teenager swimming in the Greek islands, my crazy parents took us on a trip through Europe on our way home from Israel to Canada when their time as missionaries in Israel was done. And I will never forget the waters of the Greek islands. So when it comes to my swimming pool, that's the bar. I'm always trying to make it look as nice as the Greek islands. And if you have a pool, you know there's a fine line between chlorinated enough to make it crystal clear and too chlorinated. So I'm always trying to find that spot where the pool is pristine, but it feels like there are no chemicals in it. So I've gotten good at it over time. I can handle that. So I can handle the swimming pool. That's something I can do myself. My back hair, though... That's a bad situation. You know, yow! I'm going to need some help with that one. You ever try? You can't reach? You're like, I can't do it. Ladies can't identify, but you men know what I'm talking about. You're like, you try to grab, you're like, and it hurts. Back hair, you, you need a little help with your back hair. <clears throat> Simple, pa- I'm here to help, man, here to make you smile. I was watching myself on video from a couple weeks ago. I was like, I need to smile more and be funnier. <laughs> I look nicer when I smile. I can tell the people are happier when I smile. So I was like, all right, a little more jokes at my own expense. Simple patio. I could build a simple patio. Last Saturday, my wife and I profaned the Sabbath by finishing my mother-in-law's patio. If you know anything about last Saturday, you know, it was pouring rain all day. It was horrible, but we got it done. And what's nice is that it turned out good. You know this in life, right? Sometimes you toil, you work hard, and it still doesn't work. Last Saturday, thank God, we, and it was the end of the week. Like We worked on it all week, so we would do our regular work early part of the day. Then second part of the day until dark, we would work on this darn patio. And so we finished it on Saturday. It was just miserable. Like I don't even want to go on. It was so horrible. We finally finished, and it, it looks all right. In fact, it looks better than all right. It looks really good. So a simple patio, we can handle that. But don't ask me to install your dishwasher, because if I install your dishwasher, your kitchen is not going to end up looking like this. Last time I installed a dishwasher, it took me ten and a half hours. I broke the plumbing under the sink. It was a disaster. I almost lost my sanctification. I'm going to need some help with the dishwasher. I'm going to call Reuben. He's going to save me. I have a hard time with that one. A simple meal. I could do a simple meal. I've learned over time how to handle things. One of the things that's funny about this church is full of people who are really awesome at all things food. I never felt insecure about my cooking ability until I took this church. Now I'm like, Wow. I need to sit down and be humble. Like, I can handle a simple meal, but if I'm looking for something really impressive, like a change-your-life kind of dinner, I'm going to need Jared Irvin for that. You know, I'm going to need Jared to show me how it is, because it's just, he's so above my pay grade that you ever met somebody that you can't even talk about their area of expertise? Like, you're so not in their league that you have nothing in common. He knows things about food and hospitality that I will literally never learn. I could do a simple meal, but... You know, if I'm looking to impress you, I'm going to need some help with that. Sometimes you're going to need a little help. Fortunately, the greatest do-it-yourselfer of all time has got you by the scruff of your neck. Let me show you. Here's 1 Peter 5, verses 10 through 14. This is just great. Get a load of this. And after you have suffered a little while, the, I can hardly read it without getting excited, the God of all grace... Who, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I just realized that I could have given Luke a different post-service song. Dang it. Once in a while, you figure out how to be awesome a little too late. I'm going to preach this one in reverse, if you don't mind. I'm going to flip it on its head. I'm going to preach the back half first. And then we'll come to the front half. If needing a little help describes you, today's passage is one nonstop symphony of encouragement. That's how I call a Nikki sermon. When I wrote it Friday, I said, are you going to like this one? I'm going to be friendly the whole way through. Watch, now I'll sabotage myself with something off book that I didn't mean to do by accident. It's just positive all the way through. It's a symphony of encouragement. Firstly, we see here in the second half of this segment today that you are not alone. Look at verses 12 through 14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She, who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son, Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all you who are in Christ. Do you see all the people that show up here? Count them. Peter is the one who's writing. By Silvanus, probably his secretary. He sends the greetings of she who is in Babylon. That's the Roman church. So you got Peter, his secretary, Silvanus. The Roman church. Then he refers to Mark, his son. Not his biological son, but his son in the gospel. He's saying hi also. And then everyone in the passage is kissing one another. It's a pretty positive situation. If needing a little help describes you, those five things testify to you that you're not alone. Right? Even in this context, you got Peter pulling for you, the Roman church pulling for you, his son Mark. You're not alone. You need to learn to reject evil's persistent lie that You are the only one and nobody understands. You ever feel that way? Especially the nobody understands part. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Right? Don't you feel that way sometimes? In fact, that's the persistent way you feel when something bad happens. Am I right? Or is it just me? Show me your hand if you ever felt that way. All right, everybody. Good. I was relieved there. As I'm saying it, I'm like, what if really I'm the only one? This whole point falls flat. You're not alone. The story of Jesus and his people soundly declares that you have never been alone. We see this in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologians throw around the term perichoresis to describe the perfect relationship that existed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost from all time. Remember my... Theology prof using this point to illustrate the fact that God did not create from loneliness. He did not create everything that is from some need to fill a gap in himself. 
He's fully God. He's perfect from all time. Perfectly in relationship with Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Never alone. So even from all time, you have never been alone. When God created the humans, He created them male and female, put them in the garden together so they would not be alone. In fact, God Himself says it is not good for the man to be alone. You're not alone. And together, Adam and Eve fall into sin and banishment. And together, they're cast out of the garden to begin eking out a life east of Eden. But even in their fallenness, even in their cursedness, they are not alone. As you read the early chapters of Genesis, it's beautiful to see that God is still speaking to His people. He is still in communion with His people, even in their banishment. You have never been alone. Even when God saw fit to wipe out the earth with Noah's flood, he did not send Noah into the ark alone, but he sent him with his family. And even the animals he did not send alone, but he sent them two by two by two by two by two by two so that when the shenanigans were over, they could be loosed upon the earth to renew it. Because aloneness was never part of God's plan for you. And though from Noah's day forward through the history of Judaism, we see again and again that Like us, God's people are very prone to mistakes and very prone to evil. Despite their best intentions, they tend to ruin almost everything that they touch. God did not leave us alone, even after the silence of 400 years after the last prophet stopped prophesying in Israel. God the Father sent His one and only begotten Son to become a man. Jesus Christ, God the Son, made flesh. Fully God, fully man, one with the Father, walking amongst us. Perfectly fulfilling God's law. Perfectly fulfilling His will. Never sinning once. Reaching out to the downtrodden and to the oppressed, to those who were outcast and alone, welcoming them into His embrace. Telling everyone who would listen that His kingdom is full of these misfits. People who used to be alone but now are the people of God. In fact, the only aloneness I can think of in the gospel is when Jesus hung on the cross alone. And when he alone bore the penalty for our sin. When he alone had the sins of the world placed upon him by the Father. And he alone suffered and died in our place for our sin. He alone was buried and they sealed him in that tomb. He laid there alone until Easter Sunday morning. (laughs) When if we believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit went to raise Christ from the dead. And I imagine the Holy Spirit's probably one who rolled away the stone because it was not good for the God-man to be alone. (laughs) And the Logos woke up. (laughs) You know the rest of the story. Appeared to his friends, had dinner, hung out, met them by the sea, ascended right in front of their eyes to the Father's right hand where he sat down to intercede for you. Next time you feel alone, remember that the God of the universe is interceding for you. You're in his heart, you're in his mind. In fact, you're on his lips. You're not alone. This, verse 12b, is the true grace of God. 
stand firm in it. Think you could do that this week? Knowing that you're not alone, could you stand grace, stand firm in the true grace of God? Imagine what a difference that would make in your life. If you could know and believe that you are no longer alone because of what Jesus has done for you, secure in that knowledge, you could stand firm. This is the true grace, charis, the true gift of God. Stand firm in it. Don't give it away. You ever been given a really awesome gift? Like, think about the most incredible gift you've ever been given. Did you ever give it away? I mean, not normally. Maybe if you met someone in direst need and God spoke to you and you're like, I need to give this gift away, you would do so. But under normal circumstances, when somebody gives you an extravagant, a beautiful, a unspeakably awesome gift, you hold on to that gift with everything you've got. So be it with the grace of God. Stand firm in it. Don't give away the confidence you've been given in Jesus. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. We're shouting in our hearts. Hmm. Celebrate! Ah, nothing can separate you oh, from the love of God. Why? Friends, because you've been chosen. Marvel at the symmetry of God's gospel. Verse 13, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, chosen just like you. Peter loves the chosen idea. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. I can hardly read it. It's so good. You're a, ch- you're a chosen generation. You're God's own special people. You are the ones called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Give him praise. Hallelujah, Lord. You ever get picked last at kindergarten? You know what I'm talking about, right? They line everybody up and play kickball. Or my kindergarten, we played kissing tag. It was the 70s. <laughs> Playing some kind of sport. Kids are ruthless, man, right? It's horrible. Whoever invented the pick teams thing was evil. Because there's always the, you know, skinny, unathletic kid with Coke bottle glasses who gets picked last, and you can just see how it crushes his soul every time. Remember when I got old enough to realize that this is what's happening? I would do whatever I could to be the one picked to choose the teams, and I'd choose Coke bottle eyes first. I remember his face the first time I did it. I was like, I'll take Marvin. 
And he's like, oh. <laughs> you see where this is going, right? Todd's a gospel preacher. I don't even need to say it, right? Y'all know what I'm going to say. I got to, I mean, <clears throat> I want to hit something, man. I get so excited. Woo! <laughs> yeah. You're Marvin to Jesus. <laughs> He'd pick you every time. <laughs> He'd pick you every time. Next time you feel weak, broken, cast aside, second best. <laughs> know that Jesus loves misfits, man. Loves them. Tax collectors, sinners. Morons like me. I'm going to take that guy. That created that guy, I'm take him. <laughs> He'd pick you every time. This is why we're so happy all the time. This is why Christians are kissing each other all the time, because they're so full of joy. Literally, greet one another, verse 14, with the kiss of love. Best day of my life when I read that verse at 16. That's every young Christian man at youth camp's life verse. (laughs) Sister, don't you know that the word says we are to greet one another with the kiss of love? (laughs) It's right there in black and white, too. I don't know what you do about it, ladies. I'm like, wow. Best day of my life. <laughs> What's fun about this is kiss in the original language means a fond effect. That's better than kiss, isn't it? It's a fond effect. It's an effect of fondness. Jesus' fondness for us is making us fond of each other. You can celebrate that. Notice how difficult the scripture is. If it's not for the grace of God, the Bible is almost impossible. Done and say, you know, you really ought to tolerate each other well. And I'm looking for my people to really put up with each other well. Nah. He wants to see some kissing. Do you see how kissing is much more difficult than tolerating somebody? When you kiss somebody, you're so happy to see them, you can't help yourself. You kiss them. Especially, like, for me as a man, kissing another man, it happens sometimes. I'm like, bro, I kiss him. Someone said, he. <laughs> I said, don't worry, man, it's biblical. It's biblical, baby. I'm so happy about the fact that Jesus chose me that I'm just thrilled to see you. I'm so happy to see you that I forget myself. I give you the kiss of love. Fondness is having an effect on me. Somebody shout. (laughs) So look, if there's somebody in your Christian community, you might be visiting us today, you come from another church, fine. Maybe this is your church, okay. This is difficult. So this is the only part of the sermon that's, you know, kind of like in your face. If there's anybody in your church who, if you're honest, you'd have a hard time kissing, you need to look deeply into the gospel until your attitude changes. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to look deeply into the gospel until my attitude changes. Learning and accepting that you've been extravagantly loved by God in God is the only way for you to love extravagantly yourself. So we've got relational problems, we've got love problems, we've got a gospel problem. You've got angry people, grumpy people, people who are just tolerating other people. You've got a dearth of kissing in your church. What you've got is a gospel problem. You've got a bunch of people who, to quote the great immortal Nacho Libre, don't know a buttload of crap about the gospel. If you haven't seen the movie, you think, that's a profane pastor. Go watch the movie, you'll know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's true. Right? Not, you know it's true. All right, a whole bunch of more kissing coming up at Grace Community Church in the next several years. That's a recipe for church growth, I'm just saying. Celebrate. Knowing you've been loved in God by God is what helps you to love Same way as knowing you have peace with God is the only way to live in peace. Verse 14, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Do you see it? It's right there in the text. It's epic. Peace comes from being in Christ. Period. How does that work exactly? Back to the beginning, baby. Look at verses 10 and 11. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, hear it, will himself, I say it like a black preacher, will himself, mm, will himself, oh, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Ooh, this is pretty good. Mm. Peace works because you don't have to do the work. So first, let's all acknowledge that there's some work to be done. Okay, there is some work to do. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, you're going to suffer. Life ain't perfect. It needs work. Amen? I need a little work. I didn't have dessert yesterday because I was washing the car yesterday. Things are moving a little more than I would like them to be moving under optimal conditions. I need a little work. No ice cream for me. Right? Life is like my jiggliness, right? It needs a little work. Nothing's perfect. It's true. Okay? It needs work. After you've suffered a little while, you live in a world that needs work. You live in a world that brings and causes Suffering. Funny thing about suffering is we all want to avoid it altogether. Despite the fact that the Bible is full of words about suffering, assurances that we will suffer, we just kind of pretend that that's not there. We want to avoid it altogether. We're promised that we will suffer, but for a little while. God's not going to push us over the edge. Even at the end of all things, he shows mercy. This is Mark 13. But when you see the abomination of desolation, this is Jesus speaking, 
Standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant or for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Here's the key part. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. That's Jesus speaking of the end of all things. Some Bible interpreters think he's speaking exclusively of A.D. 70 when the Romans would sack Jerusalem, destroy the temple, send the Jews into their great and final diaspora. Others, of course, think that this is looking forward to the end times, the end of the age. Some think this is a look forward into the future and the Holocaust. What I find interesting about this <laughs> is that God's people survived A.D. 70 and God's people survived the Holocaust of World War II. And though I am not a nationalist, Israel stands to this day as God's people. And in fact, there is a nation called Israel where Jews sit in government, where worship has been restored in Jerusalem. So when I think about Jesus' words here, about the end of all things, I take comfort in a couple things. One, the Romans tried to wipe them out. Rome is gone, but Israel stands. Hitler tried to wipe them out. Hitler is gone. His name and his works live in infamy. But Am Yisrael Chai, the nation of Israel lives. I take comfort in those facts, and I also take comfort in the fact that God has shortened the days. This assures me that I'm pretty sure we're going to survive whatever ails us. Ultimately, because God's got us by the scruff of our necks. Look at verse 10. Second half of it. The God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. It's beautiful. The God of all grace. In the original, the God of every grace. Every good thing comes from Him. Every good gift comes from Him. The God of every good thing has called you. And yes, I'm going to go back to Romans. Yes, I'm going to go back to chapter 8. I'm going to read the section that leads into the section I already read you today. Being at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Worship team, you can join me. I want you to notice how God is doing all the work. He called. He foreknew. He justified. He glorified. In our passage here today, he himself will restore. means to be adjusting. Next time you get that sinking feeling like you need a little adjustment, know that God's in that business. He's restoring you. He himself will restore. He himself will confirm. That means to be making steadfast. Or feel like your faith's a little loosey-goosey, like you don't quite have what it takes, know that God himself is making you steadfast. He himself will strengthen you. You know what that means? To make firm. So if when you heard me say earlier to stand firm in your faith, you knew in your heart that you don't have what it takes to do it, know that God himself is the one who is doing the work in you. He himself will establish you. you know what it means to establish? It means to founding. Not just to find you, but to make sure you are founding. Continuously being found in Christ. Next time you feel lost, know that God Himself will establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen! He's got it. He's doing it. The dominion is his. The power is his. The might is his. The glory is his. In the Greek, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. From eon into eon. Eonian into eonian. Forever and ever. He's got it under control. God is in the restoration business, and you are his favorite project. So the next time you feel like you need a little help, you know who to call. 1-800, the greatest do-it-yourselfer of all time.